the best time of the day show. Okay, I'll make no bones about it. I'm a guy and we do guy stuff, which really isn't necessarily all that pleasant when you think about it, all that sort of scratching and sniffing and and worse. Now, having worked in the middle of the night for a long time, I actually lived in a flat for many years, which was actually um, two... It was a, a big building, big, vast building with very long corridors. And I my flat was right at the very end, at least 30, 40 yards away from the lift. I was getting up at two o'clock in the morning or half past one in the morning. So therefore you wake, you know, you, you, you get up, you, you walk into some clothes, don't you, at that time. You clean your teeth, you spray yourself with a bit of something or other and set off for the lift. Go down the lift, get in the car and go into work. And this is done practically automatically with your eyes not fully open until hopefully you get in the car and then they are roughly fully open by the time you drive into work so i would do this every morning monday to friday without fail went on for months and months and months and months in this particular block of flats and of course you never really see anybody in the corridor at that time because after all there was no one there though on one occasion i did there was uh, each flat was a single occupant flat because apparently during the war they'd been built for officers so all the uh, the flats were identical identical size and everything and um there was a lady who um woman with a great big fur coat she used to wear uh, who was a friend of denny lane of wings fame who I actually saw in the lift one night she went have a good gig denny i thought that looks no yes it's denny lane what's he doing at one o'clock in the morning and it turned out that she'd actually been the mistress of some big financier in the 50s and the 60s and presumably he'd gifted her this little flat and uh, there was a, a little area just by the front door of each flat where you'd put your rubbish locker so you'd put your rubbish in there and i remember on at least one or two occasions at half past one in the morning walking down the corridor and her door would open and this rather large wobbly naked shape would come out to put some rubbish in the and she, <laughs> she'd look up and go all right darling okay uh fine thank you seen enough yeah more than enough thank you very much indeed but on this particular occasion i thought right okay Alarm goes off. It was like Groundhog Day. You know, alarm goes off exactly at the same time. Uh, uh, clean your teeth, walk in the clothes, bit of spray of something nice. Okay, do the underarm thing. Okay, got the car keys. Yeah, okay, got the bag. Okay, close the door, lock the door, start to walk down the corridor. Now, right at the end of the corridor, there's the landing and the lift, and there's a set of double doors at the end. So I'm walking down there, and of course, it's early in the morning, you've just woken up, and you're a guy. So what do you do? You suddenly feel there's an inner pressure. There's some gurgling going on, so therefore you think, well, I ought to probably just sort of let it better out than in. I still remember um, uh, I Claudius. You remember I Claudius, where uh, the Derek Jacobi I Claudius figures talking to his doctor saying, I have terrible winds and I don't know what to do. And he said, well, just, you know, your emperor, just let it out. He said, well, I can't do that. It's rude. You are the emperor. You can do what you like. He said, well, I suppose that's true. So anyway, as me in my emperor fashion, I'm sauntering down towards the double doors to take some of the landing into the lift. I thought, all oh, right. And so I started to just gently exhale in the posterior department with that sort of it sounded very much like a trombone or a tuba really quite a tune i was playing and uh just gently all the way down the corridor not too loudly just in case for a number of reasons but also i didn't want to wake anybody and it was perfectly timed effectively i farted all the way down the corridor about 30 yards huge corridor and when i got to the door to open the door 
I looked behind me and there was a man who'd been following me about a foot behind all the way. And yes, being British, what did we do? We said nothing. Now, many times over the years, people have talked to me about the scourge of the cold caller. Now, as far as I'm concerned, particularly in this gig economy in which we live, you know, everybody who can earn a living somehow legally doesn't deserve to be abused. So, OK, I've, I'm, I'm on this telephone preference service now, so I don't get that many cold calls. But it is that thing. If you do get a cold call, I'm actually quite polite and say, you know what? Save your breath. Thank you very much indeed. Goodbye. Don't call again, please. Because just shouting at someone may make you feel a bit better, but it's a bit rude. It's not really fair. Imagine if you had this job. It was the only job you could get, maybe. And so every day you were phoning hundreds and hundreds of people who were being rude to you. Now, a friend of mine was a journalist, and he actually worked from home. He's a writer. He worked from home. So he got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these calls. He thought, like I did, I'm going to have to do something to, well, not necessarily fend off these calls, to send them away, maybe feeling better about themselves. Someone phoned up and he said, right, OK, you need to go through your spiel, don't you? He said, yeah, this bloke says, yeah. He said, OK, well, I'm only prepared to listen to your spiel if you do it in a silly voice. Said, what sort of voice? Well, you know, can you do a sort of high-pitched Scouse accent, for instance? And he said, to give him his due, I actually felt like bu buying something because he did do the whole spiel in a high-pitched, silly Scouse voice. I said, oh, right. So I thought, OK, I'll never be able to best that. But on one occasion, this I got a phone call. I was actually, uh, I can remember exactly where it was now. I was on the concourse of um, Marylebone Station in London, and my mobile rang. And uh, as everyone was saying, excuse me, you know, it wasn't one of those, uh, I believe you've been in an accident. No, it was actually it was a few years ago. So he was actually a real human being rather than a, a computerised voice. And uh, this one said, oh, you know, can you, are you interested in so-and-so? I said, no, not really, but you need to go through your spiel, don't you? She says, yes. I said, I will let you go through your spiel on one condition. She said, what's that? You let me sing you a song when you've finished. And she said, oh, all right then. So she went through the spiel. And at the end of it, he says, right, are you ready? I said, and there's me at Marylebone Station going, heavenly shades of night are falling. Boom, it's twilight time. And uh, I think she quite enjoyed it. So next time you get a cold caller, think of some interesting way to make their day. Now, I've told you on uh, previous podcasts about my late friend Clive, who uh, worked for a top-shelf magazine in Chancery Lane in London during the, the 1980s, and how bizarre it was, because the editor owned the magazine, and there were three editorial staff, and it took them basically two weeks, really, to actually write a, a magazine, the magazine, which actually came out every month. So they had a lot of time on their hands, and also they hated the editor with a passion. So therefore, what did they do to fill in the time, okay, to make themselves look industrious? Well, it was a terribly run-down office, despite the fact that the editor was a millionaire. He didn't spend anything on refurbishment or new equipment. Though on one occasion, he did actually... Um, he did actually cough up for three, this is the 80s, remember, three new typewriters for the editorial department, which turns about to be the cheapest ones known to humankind, so the keys kept sticking and stuff like that. There was a shop which sold Russian radios and things over the road in Chantry Lane at that point, so he may well have bought them from there at a knockdown price. So it's, it's like once I was, I bought a, uh, an ex-girlfriend's father who ran a stationery shop. He must have hated me. Um, he's, he sold me a, a second-hand typewriter, and it was all going well until I realised it was an American American one, so therefore there's no pound sign. But so everything was in dollars after that. However, there was on the wall of this office a smudge 
where something had stained the wallpaper and of course no one did anything about it of course you have three creative people who's only two weeks out of every month is taken up with doing top shelf magazine creative stuff so the rest of the time they have to entertain themselves they invested this smudge with the power it was a button effectively it was a an energy if you pressed this smudge enough it built up some sort of kinetic energy so in the end at some critical point sometime indeterminate sometime in the future the editor would explode and also it depended on how often they pressed this smudge on the wall depending on how their recent interaction with the editor had gone so if one of them had been called in the office and been ticked off about something you think how did the meeting go they walk to the wall they pray this person sp- thumbing this smudge like fast they go oh that good uh, oh really <laughs> on one occasion uh, someone was thumbing this smudge to try and build up the explosive energy to blow up the uh, so the editor would spontaneously combust and the editor came into the office and saw this bloke furiously poking this smudge on the wall with his thumb and went uh, what are you doing that for and he looked at him and you just wouldn't understand the best time of the day show is back Monday please please stay Best time of the day show is a loading zone production. La di da.